Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm delighted to be joined by Jorge Martí. He's the Secretariat of Hensoft Venezuela. Welcome to our program, Jorge. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again. One of the things that has been in the backdrop has been the imperial aggression that continued throughout COVID, whether it be with sanctions against Venezuela, whether it be the complete silence against you know, the, the violence in Colombia against workers and people uprising in Colombia, whether it be, you know, simply that millions of people who die from hunger every day, far more than from, you know, the virus. So now we are seeing a very aggressive campaign, not just to exacerbate the violence against one country that has been for the for decades, aggressed by the imperial powers of the U.S., uh, Cuba. So can you paint a picture of what's going on and why now? In order to explain the situation in Cuba, you have to, uh, you have, to have uh, an understanding of a few basic facts that come before what's happening now. But, but let's start with what is happening now. What's happening now is basically on the 11th of July, on Sunday, there was a, a protest in the town of San Antonio de los Baños, which is about 25 kilometers southwest of the capital Havana. And a number of people, a few hundred, perhaps 200 people came out on the streets. They were protesting. And the immediate cause for this protest was twofold. One, there have been a series of uh, power cuts in the town, and not only in the town, in other towns and cities across uh, Cuba and and the people in uh, San Antonio de los Baños were were worried about this, and um, they started circulating a, a, a call for a for a demonstration uh, on on social media, and and these these uh, power cuts have been quite uh, damaging. In some cases, they they've been going on for for six hours a day, and obviously it makes makes everyday life <clears throat> very difficult. Uh, the, the the cause for these power cuts is is there are several causes, but one of the causes is a, is a fault at a, at a nearby power station and uh, the fact that the government has find, found it very difficult to import the necessary parts in order to repair this electricity plant. So this, this is not a usual occurrence, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an unusual thing and that's why people uh, were coming out on the streets and, and also some of the people out in the streets in San Antonio were, were shouting, we want vaccines, we want vaccines. And it is, it is also the case that in the last uh, 10 days, perhaps two weeks, there has been a sharp increase in the number of COVID cases in, uh, in Cuba. Cuba. Cuba had controlled the pandemic in a very effective way uh, by uh, implementing measures of social distancing, Anyone who tested positive was taken to a quarantine center uh, funded by the state 
And in general, Cuba has a very good uh, health uh, system. They managed to keep the, the COVID pandemic under control for, for 14 months. It's important to note that, you know, uh, despite the severe situation with the blockade, the number of cases and death uh, of COVID death are far below in Cuba than they are in other countries, including yeah, in fact, the U.S., exactly. You know, in fact, so... Yeah, in fact, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, Cuba is one of the countries anywhere in the world which has had the lowest number of people dying from from COVID, uh, and and it's the lowest uh, in in Latin America. Not only this, but also Cuba has developed two vaccines, which are now going to be approved, uh, homegrown vaccines through, through the Cuban uh, biomedical industry. And, uh, and has already vaccinated 15% of the population. But at the same time, something happened about 10 days ago. It seems with the arrival of some uh, some Russian tourists and so on, uh, that the Delta variant arrived in the island. And as we know, the Delta variant is much more contagious. And this led to local outbreaks of uh, the COVID pandemic, particularly in the province of Matanzas, which, which put the health se- sector, health service in that province, under a lot of strain. So you can say that uh, some, some, some of the people were genuinely worried and uh, they wanted to come out on the streets and then, and then uh, address their grievances or their complaints or their, their worries to the local uh, authorities. And that, that's, not, that's, that's neither here nor there. It's not, not a, a bad thing. But, but there are a number of other elements. One, I will say, is the fact that for days before this protest, there had been a concerted campaign on social media against uh, Cuba, and this campaign was organized around the hashtag SOS Cuba. Basically, it was trying to exaggerate the COVID outbreak in Cuba. They were uh, spreading false information about the situation in Matanzas, in the province of Matanzas. They said, uh, the, the local hospital has no uh, electricity, people are dying because there's no electricity, there's COVID patients out in the corridors dying, and, uh, and all of this was not true. Uh, the situation is not, not very good, there's been a big outbreak in Matanzas, but, but the situation was not as it was being painted. So, so the idea was to create a situation of panic and, anxi- and anxiety amongst the people who were receiving this news, and also then this was combined with the idea that Cuba needed uh, a humanitarian intervention. And they basically roped in a number of uh, artists, uh, famous people and so on, uh, to, to basically get behind this SOS Cuba hashtag. And obviously demanding a humanitarian intervention in Cuba is, is completely scandalous on the part of the United States. The United States is creating if anything, a humanitarian crisis in uh, Cuba by blockading and uh, embargoing the country in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, like just to give you one example, one year ago, the, the Chinese multimillionaire Jack Ma, the owner of Alibaba, sent shipments, sent, sent uh, plane loads of different um, of, of ventilators uh, and, and, other, and other anti-COVID um, material to a number of Latin American countries and even European countries. It wasn't just Cuba. But in the case of Cuba, this material never arrived because the shipment, the, the cargo, was supposed to be transported by Avianca Cargo, a Colombian-based uh, air, airline. 
And they said that they didn't feel uh, safe because of U.S. sanctions. I, uh, an airline in a third country was uh, afraid of the U.S. imposing sanctions on them for transporting cargo from China to Cuba, i.e. not even going through the United States. So that, that just gives you an example. But anyway, there was this campaign. And this campaign, is, is, there's an expert in Spain that has analyzed this campaign. And this was started from, from half a dozen Twitter accounts, uh, which were on, on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. They were posting millions of tweets, uh, several tweets a second. So this, this is obviously a, a, an operation. This is very well organized and financed with the aim of uh, undermining the so sovereignty of uh, Cuba, uh, creating a situation of panic. And we know that in the past, for instance, in Venezuela, this idea of a humanitarian crisis was uh, used to justify foreign intervention. So, but I will say that this played a part in these protests. I, the people in, in uh, People in San Antonio came out and they said, some people, a few hundred, came out and said, we want vaccines. Why did they say that? Because they thought the situation was much worse than what it really was. Um, so that's one factor. But on the other hand, it is true to say that the situation in Cuba is very bad. There's, mm -hmm. there's a really deep economic crisis, which has been aggravated, one, by Trump's sanctions, which have not been lifted by uh, Biden, which I want to talk a bit more about uh, mm -hmm. perhaps later, yeah. and two, by the COVID pandemic. The COVID pandemic has affected Cuba in a very particular way. Uh, Cuba gets a lot of its um, uh, hard foreign currency reserves from tourism, uh, about three billion US dollars a year. And, and uh, last year, there were no tourists. From April, when the country was closed down because of pandemic, there were no tourists, and, and tourists have not yet even returned to Cuba. So a whole year worth of tourism has been lost for the Cuban economy, $3 billion. That's a lot of money. In fact, Cuba imports a year about $2 billion of food products, uh, which has been unable to. Uh, so this has led, in turn, to a big scarcity of basic products, of uh, medicines, and it's aggravated the situation that was already not very good before. Yes, I want to talk about the history, why Cuba poses such a threat to the capitalist system of the United States and, you know, that seems to be governing the whole world. Why can a tiny little island be such a threat to them? But yeah, going back onto the history, I mean, the reason is very simple to understand. Uh, in 1959, Cuba had a revolution. And this revolution was mainly about two things. Uh, one, about the, the Cuban people deciding their own future free from U.S. Uh, imperialist intervention. Ever since Cuba gained independence in 1898, the Cuba, the, it, it had it stopped being a colony of the Spanish Empire, and it became a colony of the U.S. It was formally independent, but the United States intervened militarily on, on several several occasions they were putting and taking out uh, presidents and there was even a thing called the Platt Amendment which was in the Cuban Constitution that uh, legalized US military intervention in the island when it felt that its interests were threatened uh, so I mean that is that is the real uh, situation so 
when uh, the Cuban Revolution was one about freeing themselves from U.S. interference and, and becoming free, really free. And second was about improving the lot of the majority of the people, the workers, the peasants, uh, the poor, who were living in very bad conditions prior to the revolution, while the island was uh, the brothel of the United States and was dominated by United States multinationals and United States uh, mafia gangs. Uh, as you can see in the film, The, the Godfather, where, where it's very well uh, represented. So, so this is this is the reason they had a revolution for these two reasons: to, for, for for national independence and for social liberation. And uh, at the beginning, this this revolution was not against capitalism. The, this was not in the program of the Cuban revolutionaries in 1959. But as soon as they started taking measures, decisive measures against uh, against uh, U.S. imperialism and in favor of the people, for instance, agrarian reform or, for instance, the lowering of the price of the telephone tariffs or the electricity tariffs, they found that uh, the majority of the sugarcane plantations were owned by U.S. companies, that the electricity company was owned by a U.S. multinational, that the telephone company was owned by a U.S. multinational. So progressively, as they were advancing in a very wide-ranging social reform uh, program, they were... They were uh, infringing on the property rights of the United States companies. And uh, very soon, by 1962, just by carrying out a, a social program, they had abolished capitalism. They had expropriated all of the capitalists, which were in, in the main U.S.-based uh, capitalists and the local puppets. So a uh, small island, 90 miles from the United States, the most powerful imperialist country on earth, had carried out a socialist revolution. And not only this, but through this socialist revolution, they managed to massively increase the living standards of the population. For instance, uh, in relation to health care, in relation to uh, education, there was a program to abolish illiteracy, which they uh, did in a very short space of time. In Cuba, university education is free of charge, very open to everyone. Uh, you don't end up your university years with a massive student debt hanging from your, the, from, hanging from your neck. Uh, and many other things. One of the first things that the revolution did already in '59 was to abolish rents, and, uh, and tenants became the owners of the flats they had been paying rent in for, for a long period of time. So all of these massive conquests of the Cuban uh, revolution were possible because of socialism, and they were a threat to the United States. Why? Because the conditions of Cuba were, and still are, the conditions of, uh, of many of the Latin American countries. And so Cuba provided the threat of a good example, uh, the threat of, of what was possible if you uh, freed yourself from imperialist control and if you abolished capitalism, things could massively improve for workers and peasants. And this was an example uh, to follow for, for millions of workers, peasants and poor across Latin America and beyond uh, across the world. So this is the reason why the United States, from the very beginning, under Democrat and Republican administrations has tried to put an end to the Cuban Revolution. There's been dozens of assassination attempts against Fidel Castro, uh, who is obviously now uh, dead, but, but uh, as, as, as long as he was alive, they wanted to kill him. Uh, and there's been a, a, a very cruel 
and sadistic, I would say, embargo on, on Cuba, which was imposed in 19, uh, in 1960. Uh, no, sorry, in 1962 is, is when the embargo started. And, uh, and ever since, the United States uh, administrations have tried to strangle the Cuban revolution and overthrow it, and they have failed. This is another thing that, that riles with them. They, they, they've not been able to carry out their, their designs. So this is very important. If you don't understand this, you can't understand anything that's happening in, in Cuba uh, in Cuba today. This is the basis of, of the whole uh, uh, situation. And this embargo has been uh, tightened by Trump. In fact, Trump, the Trump administration introduced 243, I think it is, 243 new measures to strengthen the embargo, which had been uh, partially eased under the Obama administration. But for instance, the last measure that Trump took uh, before he left office was to sanction, uh, to, to introduce some financial sanctions that uh, made it impossible for Western Union, which was carrying, rem uh, carrying remittances from uh, Cubans in the US to their families in Cuba. Uh, this is no longer possible. And Western Union closed its operations in the island in December last year. Uh, this is another massive uh, blow to the Cuban economy and to the Cuban uh, uh, people. Now, I think it's important to note that worldwide, uh, Cuba has been supported and there has been a call from the United Nations with votes consistently, you know, majority versus two, the United States and Israel who vote against removing the sanctions against Cuba. Can we talk a little bit about this and the significance this right. Yeah, 20 years now that the United Nations General Assembly has voted consistently since 1992. They voted every year a resolution against the embargo, against the U.S. embargo on Cuba, which which they declared, uh, this resolution declares it as illegal. Um, and this resolution uh, has increased its support in the United Nations General Assembly to a point where about 10 years ago, everyone was voting in favor with two votes against that is uh, the United States and Israel, and perhaps two or three abstentions. This year, uh, this vote was taken, I think about a month ago, and uh, only three countries abstained. These countries were, let me see, uh, Ukraine, Colombia, and Brazil. And uh, two voted against, that is the U.S. and, uh, the US and, uh, and Israel, as you said. Uh, this means that 180, I can't remember, 185 or 186 voted in favor in favor of this, including uh, allies of the United States in, in Europe, uh, Canada itself. I mean, the thing is so scandalous that uh, the U.S. has become completely isolated. However, as we know, the, the United Nations uh, is no more than a talking shop. If they pass a resolution which is against the United States, the United States will ignore it. And if the United States manages to pass a resolution in its favor, then they will use the United, the United Nations as a cover for their imperialist uh, designs, which they have done on many occasions. But nevertheless, it shows, it shows how scandalous this embargo is uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the strength of the body of opinion that exists amongst the nations of the world against, uh, against it. I mean, this is every year that is a massive defeat for the United States policy at the United Nations General Assembly on this question. At the heart of it really is, do workers have a right to organize themselves and have a system other than capitalism 
to run the, their affairs? And how do we as workers uh, unite in a way that, you know, we have a clear and, uh, you know, a clear stance against what moving beyond capitalism means for us? Yes, I mean, that, that's the crucial question. I think, I think this is the reason why they are so uh, adamant to destroy the Cuban uh, revolution, because the Cuban revolution shows that, uh, it, I mean, in, in Cuba, the, the private profit motive running the economy doesn't exist. Uh, the economy is run uh, on different grounds, and this is what allows them to provide uh, health care and education for all. Uh, and also, for instance, the, the fact that they have this medical industry that has developed two vaccines. I mean, which other country of a similar economy size, similar size as Cuba, economy-wise, has developed two vaccines? Why? Because they, they have decided, uh, it's a conscious decision to invest money in, in developing uh, a medical industry and a drug uh, pharmaceutical industry. While in the rest of the world, the pharmaceutical industry is in private hands and is based on making profits. In, in Cuba, it's based on developing drugs that can cure people, that can be useful for, for people. Uh, I, I would say, uh, however, that I mean, the, the, the system in Cuba has many faults, deficiencies, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily say that the workers uh, are in control completely. No, in, in Cuba, there, is, there are bureaucratic uh, deficiencies in the in in the system but these deficiencies are also partly caused by the fact that this is a revolution isolated in a small island in in, in, a, in a sea of uh, capitalism of, of hostile capitalism uh, and in any case these deficiencies which do exist in in cuba will not be solved by overthrowing the the revolution as i said before uh, the reason why people have come out on the street is because the situation is bad but nevertheless, the people who are capitalizing these protests is the reaction, is the counter-revolution. Uh, and, they, and they started with slogans like, down with the dictatorship, down with communism. And uh, if this happens, if the revolution is overthrown, uh, then the situation will not be better for the masses. It will be worse. First of all, uh, free health care and education will be abolished, destroyed. The conquest of the revolution will be destroyed. And the poor people, m many of whom were in these uh, protests, will, will be the ones to pay for, for this. If you want to see what Cuba will be if capitalism is restored, you just need to look at Haiti mm -hmm. or the Dominican Republic, which are in the neighboring uh, island, where the majority of the population live in extreme uh, poverty under U.S. domination. That's, that's what uh, capitalist yeah. Cuba would look like. So that, that is a very serious situation. The yeah. other thing is that the mass media internationally have, have magnified these protests, which I would say were significant. Let, let's be clear. These were the biggest protests against the government in Cuba, uh, perhaps since 1994, and they were more widespread uh, geographically than, than the ones in 94. However, we, we have to think about the, the exact proportions of this. For instance, in, in uh, Havana, which is a city perhaps of uh, two, three million people, about two or three thousand came out on the streets to demonstrate that that is not the people of Cuba protesting against the government. It's a section of people came out, yes, uh, to protest. But uh, what the media also don't tell you 
internationally is the fact that there were protests. There were people who came out on the streets to defend the revolution. The president, Diaz-Canel, said, look, this is a very serious situation, and I call on revolutionaries, I call on communists to come out on the streets, defend, defend the revolution. And there were large numbers, which you haven't seen on your television screens, or on your newspapers. Or, or rather, I will say, you have seen them, because the point is that many of the international media outlets have used images and pictures of pro-government uh, demonstrations, pro-revolution demonstrations, to illustrate their stories, uh, exaggerated stories about protests against uh, the government. And you can see this very easily, because you can even see July 26 movement banners in some of these uh, pictures. Uh, and the July 26 movement is the movement of, of Fidel Castro and Che Guevara that, uh, that started the, revo the revolution in 1959. So uh, they're also manipulating the, the information. And this is not a question of the people versus the Cuban government. No, in, in Cuba there are many different opinions. And there's a large body of people uh, who are in favor of the revolution, who understand that the situation is not very good. The situation is, is very serious from an economic point of view but uh, that overthrowing the revolution will not solve anything that, uh, that the revolution needs to be defended and yes it needs to be improved uh, perfected uh, made better but uh, they are prepared to defend the revolution if anyone tries to overthrow it by by force and particularly if behind these forces is u.s uh, imperialism the cubans are very proud of the sovereignty of the independent um, stance and of their revolution and they're quite prepared to to defend it so so yeah the the image that we're being fed by the mass media for their own reasons is completely uh, distorted for many in Latin America, we are very familiar with the type of democracy the U.S. De delivers. You know, the type of democracy that brings multiple uh, military bases, you know, that choke the land, multiple mine sites, you know, mining sites or exploitation. In the case of Haiti, as you point out, uh, you know, the U.S. intervention has meant uh, an IMF program that meant lowering their uh, labor wages even more. You know, it meant a regime of hunger and constant uh, atrocities that have been committed. Not only that, in, in Haiti, every time the people have tried to elect a government that was in their in the favor, like the government of uh, Aristide, uh, this government has been overthrown by a U.S.-backed military coup, and, and Aristide was sent into exile, and, and others before him were, were killed. And, and the, the reign of terror that exists now in Haiti is, is U.S.-made, quite clearly. Yeah. Or, or, or Colombia, just you, you were talking at the beginning about Colombia. In Colombia, there's been massive protests since the end of uh, April, and over 60 people have been killed. Thousands have been uh, uh, attacked by the police and severely injured. There's been uh, cases of uh, sexual assault of uh, women by the police forces. And, uh, and this is supposed to be a democracy, however. And then, and then they turn to Cuba and they say, oh, this is, a, this is a very nasty dictatorship. But I mean, this is just a double standard of, uh, of U.S. imperialism. Today, for instance, or yesterday, I think it was, Biden uh, said that he was not prepared to allow remittances to be sent to Cuba again. And if you think about it, the remittances is not money that Cubans in, in Florida, for instance, send 
to the government. No, they send this money to their own families so that they can uh, they can have some uh, income in a very difficult situation. So he he refused to lift the the blockade or the embargo on the remittances, and and the idea is very clear. The idea is we'll starve you to death, we'll choke you economically, so that then you blame your own government for this uh, situation. This is like uh, it's a completely callous uh, blackmail that they are subjecting the people of Cuba uh, to. As, as Diaz-Canel said very uh, clearly, if you're really worried about the situation in, in Cuba, and the situation in Cuba is harsh, uh, first thing you should do is lift the embargo. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is one of the main causes for this uh, situation. Thank you so much for being with us today. My, my pleasure. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com.